everyone and thank you for joining us today on turning a moment into a movement i am your host jay love and i also represent the justice for gerard movement um gerard is my son who was wrongfully uh, convicted for a crime he didn't do um innocent and he went to prison served two years in the michigan department of corrections for that crime and then he came home and he just recently passed away. However, because of that journey with Gerard and meeting so many other um, friends and whatever my friends now and family, um, but I met so many other people on that journey who had a loved one that was wrongfully incarcerated. And so because of all of that, we decided to um, have this, uh, create this platform well, we come on here on Fridays to talk about it, wrongful convictions, injustice, because the injustice anywhere is, the, is a threat to justice everywhere. So that's why we're here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for those who watch us on YouTube. Thank you. And for those who watch us um, live on Twitter and Facebook, hello. Thank you. And so we're going to get started because we have a lot to just uncover and unfold and talk about and just get some thoughts on it. So first of all, let me bring on Revitia. Hi, Revitia. Well, hello. Good evening, Jay. Jay Love. And you know what? I, I just thank God for the love that you, that, that helps you to continue on, um, the genuine love and yeah. the love for people the love for change, the love um, and the expectation that change will happen, that transformation will happen. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I am on, on the platform of other social justice efforts, uh, Michigan Coalition of Human Rights, uh, Flint Women's Study, and along with the uh, Bishop Bernadette Jefferson, Definitely uh, the Michigan chair for G100, yeah. Oneness in Wisdom, which is an international organization empowering women. I'm about empowering women. I am the founder of the choicezone.com. And if you're looking for transformation for your own life, uh, I'm, I'm your girl for that. And definitely... Rabbit, I think I thank God for I think I froze for a second. I thank God for being a part of the community of transforming love community where love is definitely transforming lives. So as we are here to educate and empower people towards change and collectively come together with ideas 
um, I'm thanking God in advance that Gerard has helped us become a network of uh, a huge think tank <laughs> so that we can make change yeah. and so that we can um, come together. So thank you so much. And I'm excited about tonight's venue. Yes, me too, Reverend Tia, because um, we've been talking about this um, police behaviors. We did, you know, a series on it with uh, attorney um, David Robinson and and um, the whole George Floyd. We had conversations about that. And then here we are again today having another conversation. Yeah. But you know what? <clears throat> we all we can make a choice for change. We can make a choice like today, like no more. All we have to do is choose. So thank you, Reverend Tia. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, Edward. Hello, how are you guys doing? It's good to be here this evening. Introduce yourself. <clears throat> My name is Edward Sanders, and I go by the name of Baraka. Um, I am a regular uh, 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 host or a co-host or panelist, uh, <laughs> along with Jay Love and um, uh, Reverend uh, Tina and uh, um, Tia, and uh, um, there are some others that normally come on here, uh, uh, Attorney Mac and others. But in any case, I'm a regular here on the uh, on the panel, um, and sometimes um, I get uh, a bit busy and I'm not here. I think the last time I was here, I literally, literally hit a meltdown. Um, J-Love showed a video. I hadn't seen that video. I wasn't anticipating that video. And it literally uh, shook me. I watched a woman um, being um, um, arrested. Um, I seen a very, you know, uh, sorry, I mean, pitiful form of police um, so-called investigation. Um, um, and, 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 and they literally took and um, emotionally and psychologically um, and, and, and spirit, they tore this woman apart and she wound up being quite innocent, absolutely innocent. And um, it brings me to reality. And I had, to, I had to cut off the show and I haven't been back on the show since then. I, in fact, reached out to the, uh, the woman's uh, attorney. And I not only met her attorney, but I met um, the um, attorney who that her attorney works for, the law firm he works in. And I come to find out that both of them uh, are taking and representing um, people who have been, um, um, you know, misused by, abused by the police, Detroit Police Department. And in one case, um, um, it was a, a video that I seen on television where the police had literally like, you know, was taking um, target practice at a, at a running young African-American male um, and they killed him. And so I'm calling to the law firm to connect with the attorney about one case and come to find out that his partner has a case even more egregious than that because um, the person in that case um, was actually killed. And um, since then, I actually been to the office. I, I went to the office and met the senior um, counsel 
uh, which is David uh, Robinson. And I didn't realize he actually been on the show with us before. <laughs> yeah. And um, the unique thing about this particular officer is that, I mean, this particular attorney is that he used to be in a, a, police, a, a, a police officer, mm -hmm. both him and his partner. Oh, and okay. fact, this gentleman was a police um, for 10 years. Mm -hmm. He was a police for 10 years and he subsequently became an attorney and he specialized in taking and bringing cases against polices because of their, um, due to their misconduct. Mm -hmm. And so it was refreshing to take and meet with him, have a discussion with him. And um, his partner was in the process um, of taking and actually filing uh, a lawsuit and uh, this is a good read too so if you ever get a chance yeah. officers, you know he's, he, you know he, he acknowledged that you know we meaning the public we see polices as heroes but he tell you you see a hero but i see a human being yes. you know and keep it he keeps it in perspective there he is there's a book mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely um, we had a very um, good, uh, um, um, refreshing conversation, um, and uh, um, I, and I'm hoping to take and uh, meet with him. I want to take and introduce Michigan uh, exonerees. I want to take and uh, maybe we all get together and take and have a brunch uh, of sorts with each other. Uh, me and him have talked about that, and um, I have spoken about that with some of Michigan exonerees, and so I'm hoping to take and try to get them together as a group and maybe we all meet up somewhere with uh, this attorney and his um, other um, partners in his law firm. Um, he has his own law firm there. Yeah. I was like, I hope there's a place at this office I can park at. And I looked up and there's his name on the whole building. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm good. I can park where I want to park. Yes, Attorney David Robinson is a pretty awesome person. And he has won a lot of lawsuits against Detroit police. Yes, yes, I was doing the homework on that. And we talked about some of the history and some of the practices, but some of the stuff can come out um, later um, during our conversation, but I'm great, I'm, I, I'm happy to be here, but I'm also sad because this is, this is a sad occasion. Uh, we have a police chief in a um, neighboring state um, that is planning to release a video if it haven't already been released yet of a police beating that they say that it's worse than Rodney King. It have to be worse than Rodney King. The um, the young man uh, uh, was killed. He was murdered. And the sad thing is, is that it was he was murdered by several African-American uh, police officers. And this is sad, but this goes to the idea this is a culture. And um, sometimes we take for granted we think that our color, our, our, our physical presence changed things. Our physical presence doesn't change things. They take more than our physical presence. We have to go in with a conscientious mind, you know, to take and reform. And um, we have a, a, a good example of this um, uh, um, here in Detroit with the formal, uh, um, uh, um, what was, uh, um, he was a formal judge, um, Cochrane. Um, I'm trying to say his name. I'm getting his name mixed up with um, Cochran. <laughs> uh, but we had a, a formal judge right here in Detroit 
where uh, a whole church, police went up in the church, arrested all the witnesses or who they thought were witnesses to a crime, but because they didn't um, uh, 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 participate in revealing or, 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 or making any comments to the police, they arrest them all for the actual crime or related, and which is part of Detroit Police Department's history of taking and arresting witnesses to crimes. Um, they arrest them with for sometimes for the actual crime, and um, this is particularly um, true in the case of homicides. And these convictions turn out to be, you know, unreliable because right. of the type of evidence and how they gathered those evidence. We can't credit people with being heroes. <laughs> First, we shouldn't be crediting anybody with heroes. This is a, a, a form of false worship. Mm -hmm. We have to let people be who they are. They are human beings. And that tells them and it tells us that we're all subject to mistakes. But um, to leave some air in the room, there are other people that will be coming on introducing <laughs> themselves. So let me cut it out. I'm a, I'm, I'm a much conversationist. Thank you. All right. Speaking of conversationists, greetings. Hello, hello. hello. My, my, brother, my brother Sanders, Barack, the man of the hour. My man. <laughs> Good to see you, brother. You know, Reverend T, I don't told you about hiding from me. So I, so I told you. <laughs> and Jay Love, look here. Look, uh, I cannot agree more with what Brother Sanders said. Uh, all of our programs are very serious, but but this one even more so hurts my heart. You know, uh, what I've seen this last week hurts hurts my heart, you know. But uh, allow me to introduce myself. Uh, attorney Hugo J. Mack, criminal defense attorney, former candidate for Washtenaw County Prosecutor Attorney's Office. I firmly believe the people best suited to solve the problem are people who have lived through the problem. Okay. Okay. So uh, there we go for that. And for all future plugs for my political career, there we go on that. So now here we go again. If you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, push, pull, drag, tow that hoopty to Mac Street. Mac Street. Park in my virtual underground garage. Mm -hmm. When there, call the Freedom Line, 734 239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. And you're doggone right, I approve this advertisement. The other thing, <laughs> when in times of trouble, hmaclaw.com is your hookup. hmaclaw.com is your hookup. hmaclaw.com is your hookup. And J-Love, in order yes. to give people time to program my number into their speed dial, allow me for a moment to do the boogaloo. Okay. <laughs> okay, now that ought to be enough time. So now, announcement advertisement brought to you by Dr. Hugo J. Mack Esquire. Yes. King of Russia, Scotland, and Harlem. I love you. I love you too. What a greedy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Attorney Mac. I love you. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so, Attorney Mac. Yes. Let's dig in. We were talking before earlier, and we were talking about um, 
So today, I'm just going to be honest. This is a little triggering for me because, uh, you know, this is another mother who lost a son. Um, um, another thing he had in common was what Gerard was. He also suffered from um, Crohn's disease. So he was a small guy. Um, they said he was about 150 pounds. So he was a small guy. And then these five police officers. So I was listening to attorney Crump talk about this um, whole thing, travesty this morning. And he made some very valid points. He's He talked about the culture of policing and that the culture, and I think we've been talking about this culture for a minute, attorney Matt, but the culture of policing is is corrupt. This is, you know, every time they get in trouble, they always talk about, oh, they need more training. Are we going to get them more training? It's the training. <laughs> That's the problem. You know, this training is the problem because it takes the humanity out of them. Or, and if you're not strong enough, you know, you buy into all of this stuff and then you treat people so inhumane that you can't even stop yourself from literally beating someone to death. And it is just so, so shocking that we have to continuously talk about it and talking about it. And I said that, um, I made a post earlier that said that black people don't need to, we don't really have to see another video to confirm what we already know. It's the people who continues to deny the needs to see these type of videos, the people who continue to think that it can't happen to them, the people who continue to think that, um, you know, why don't you comply? Why you got to run? These are the people who need to see. We that already know, we don't have, we already know. This happens every day. It's in Memphis, but it happens all over the United States. But now that we, you know, once we got these cell phones, at first it was like, a, uh, and I said this before, like an urban legend. You would hear about somebody getting beat or whatever. And, you know, because we didn't have cell phones and it wasn't any video. But now we have cell phones. It hasn't stopped. You thought it would be a deterrent. You know, you got cameras everywhere. People got cam- ring cameras on their doors. There's cameras in the sky. There's cameras on them. And it's still that... It's not a deterrent. So there's something has to be done across the board, not by state. (laughs) It has to be done across the board where it's a federal mandate. It's the law of the land to get this under wraps because we cannot continue to live this way. People cannot continue to lose their kids like this. J-Love, you know, and panel, Earlier today, and if we don't take action, then we are being compliant. We're laying it down. We're saying yes to it. Yeah. And that's why we're here. And that's why we have to take action because it's not okay. It's not okay. And and the sad thing is it's not even a color thing anymore because sometimes the perpetrator is also an African-American police person. So it's a mindset. Mm-hmm. And that person's mind has said yes to inhumane treatment. 
So I know when I used to work, um, I used to work for Chrysler, right? And they used to give us uh, what they call was a SWI, standing work um, orders or whatever. And so everyone who operated this job, if you knew those standard work procedures, you would do the same thing, right? There was no error in doing the job because we all did the same thing. And so that's what the training required us, right? And so when you when you keep talking about training, 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 let's look at the training. You know, we're going to have to get somebody on here to, to discuss specifically this training. But the training, in every case, you know, they do the same thing. You know, they always say, uh, I fear for my life. Or, you know, that's the standard thing that helps them get away with all this stuff, how fearful they are for their lives. But, you know, we see this in, um, what is that, Grand Rapids, when they shot the kid in the back of the head. And even in Detroit, where they shot the kid 16 times, you know, he was having a, we fear for our lives. We, what is, we can't keep normalizing this stuff. Go ahead, Attorney Matt. You know, earlier today, I was listening to uh, a speech uh, by the Honorable uh, Louis Farrakhan, and he gave this like back in 1992 at the Omni, which is a huge uh, indoor arena in, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was just so amazing to hear the things that he was talking about in terms of ourselves and self-hate and how we become so enamored with with riches you know and 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 he spoke about the the black athlete you know um a few of them relatively speaking to our population you know millionaires and multimillionaires which is not to diminish their talent i'm not i'm not doing that but with that it sets a mindset of if i play the game a certain way I can obtain these riches. If I don't rock the boat, I can obtain these riches. If I can get the majority culture to give me a chance, I can obtain these riches. So yes, you know, uh, we applaud black coaches and all that, but the bottom line is the NFL is owned by white men. I mean, that's, that's the truth. That's where the money is, the ownership of it. The NBA is owned by white men. That's the truth. So I'm, what I'm saying is when I listen to him, and I thought about what had happened, what happens with us, uh, how we are so easily seduced into being a part of the system. Because I'm gonna tell you, there aren't that many black millionaires out there that really wanna put themselves and their fortunes on the line for social justice. Not really, not really. You may have an outlier like a LeBron James or something like that, but you notice Michael Jordan wasn't saying nothing. He said, I'm an athlete and I ain't worrying about nothing. And that's the truth, that's the truth. So, so all I'm saying is, is that for me, for me, it is a situation where we have bought into the lie that our merits determine how far we go. Our merits do not determine how far we go. We have millions of extremely talented young black men and women that are going nowhere except the penitentiary, mm -hmm. except maybe the penitentiary. So when I look at these police officers, you remember the movie uh, Boys in the Hood with Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, mm -hmm. is it Ice? Uh, is it Ice Cube? Uh, Ice you know, Cube, yeah. Ice Cube. Okay, you remember the scene where the police pull them over 
It was a black officer and it was a white officer. Do mm -hmm. you, you remember the treatment that Cuba Gooding and them got from that black officer was so shocking, even a white officer was appalled. Even mm -hmm. he was appalled. And I'm saying, don't tell me that's just a movie. It may be a movie, but it is reality in movie form is what it is. Reality in movie form. And so I see that time and time and time again. So the only hope we have, J-Love, and, and two hopes. One, black men and women taking back control of their family, okay? Back control of their family and raising our young black men to respect themselves and where they come from, first of all and foremost. The second thing is, is this. I don't want to hear no more talk about, well, you know, Republicans are evil and all this kind of stuff. I, the Republicans could be evil. The Democrats could be evil. It's the policy I'm concerned about. I don't care what letter is behind your name. I want to know what kind of policy you're talking about. The reason I support the Democrats, they put forth George Floyd legislation. They put forth John Lewis legislation. That was blocked by Republicans. So that's where I'm coming from. So mm -hmm. we got to keep pushing every local and federal election to get people in there and keep people in there. And by the way, I'm going to say this, I'm, I'm going to shut up. We have Democrats control of the, the governor's office, Democrats control of the state Senate, Democrats in control of the House of Representatives. Now you better damn produce. You better damn produce. I hear them talking about they're going to do away with right to work. Good. I'm glad they are. But you got prison reform that's got to be addressed. You got this elimination of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 taking away good time disciplinary credits. So I've got a whole list of things that I'm going to be produ producing to my state rep, and I'll be watching because I'm going to warn all Democrats. If you F me around, mess me around, excuse my language, this time I'm through. I'm through. So don't tell me about how we need to change when we put you in office and you don't do the damn change. And yes, Governor Whitmer, I'm talking to you too. I know it's your last term. You ain't got to run again. So go, go on and do the right thing. Sorry for taking so long. <laughs> Uh, Attorney Mac, I listened to her and she didn't say nothing about reform. That's right. That's I didn't. Right. I, don't, I didn't hear her say not one word about reforming anything. That's right. So, um, Ben Crump said this today. He said policy means nothing when police culture doesn't respect policy or the community. And I was just like, he's right. He's right. It means nothing. Um, go ahead, Baraka. I want to share uh, most of the audience that might be uh, regular in terms of turning on here. Uh, they know us panelists that are here uh, with the host of J-Love. They know who we are. But for those who may not know who I am, I took and um, I spent all of my adult life in prison, all of my adult life in prison, with the exception of the last five years. Um, with the exception of the last five years, I came home in uh, 2017. I went to prison in 1975, okay? And I didn't come home until um, 2017. I went to prison at the age of 17 years old. And I was sentenced to natural life, but before we get into the carceral system in terms of the Department of Correction, uh, I want to let share with you what 
the Wayne County Jail was like. Um, the depths there regularly, regularly, regularly. This was a daily occurrence, multiple times a day, regularly. It was unusual if it didn't occur. And that was, was that they would run throughout the county jail and jump on inmates or the occupants of the county jail. This was a regular. And the only heroes that was in the picture was your nurses, African-American women who were there in that space as nurses. Oftentimes, they would take an intervene, which put they, their jobs in jeopardy because anytime you're in an environment where custody is there, custody always have control over the environment, no matter what you are there for. Even if there's a person on the floor bleeding to death, you don't have the right to do anything other than what custody those who in custody allow you to do and these african-american women used to take and put their bodies they used to put their bodies their voices every bit of their person in between the merciless person that these depths would take and be jumping on and the depths themselves um often it would result or or, or come about as um where the the, the county jail um, uh, um, inmates would get in a fight with each other on the rock and the depths would take and hit the, they would hit this, this, this buzzard that made this, you know, horrible sound and all the depths would take and run to wherever this um, incident was. And you would see the behavior of the depths. It was mostly young kids. It was mostly young kids. Some was uh, um, um, somewhat older, but it was mostly young kids. It was a thrill for them to hear that buzzer go off. And they didn't re uh, respond to these buzzers as though they were concerned about somebody's welfare. They was responding to it like it was a carnival, that this was something that they were looking for and that they're ready to get into it. And they will show up. And when they showed up, even though there might have been two people on the floor in between the beds or whatever, because you got this um, area where it's confined it. And the other, you know, if you had an open area and other prisoners may be standing away watching this. And when the depths come in, they clear out of the way to let them come in. They nevertheless will come in and jump on every person that they can see that wasn't in a guard uniform. This was such a regular practice that you will find where some of the um, prisoners would tell you when they heard that buzzer go off, they tell you, scrap up, man, scrap up. And um, you'd be like, scrap up, what's up? Say, look, man, they don't care who in here fighting. They finna come in here and whip us all. They finna, and you know, so, you know, the guys went to putting on sheets, tying sheets around the head of pillowcases and other things to, 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 to cushion the uh, um, the blow of uh, um, uh, uh, blows that they finna get from these guys. And they would immediately, as soon as the guards come within the, um, the confines of their lockup, they began to take and fight because they knew that if they didn't, and if they didn't take and render them uh, um, um, somewhat weak and beaten, they was going to be rendered weak and beaten. And it was, I mean, it was a hell of a, um, it was a hell of a culture. 
And when I got into the prison system, um, it wasn't unusual to take and find a guy that was being pushed around in a wheelchair. And he got in that wheelchair as a result of what happened back in the county jail when he was a resident in the county jail waiting trial. This was a regular occurrence in 1975 when I, when I was in the county jail waiting trial on a murder case. And I was in the county jail practically a whole year. Okay, I spent practically a whole year. I had actually been in the county jail and was um, written back down on a homicide case. And so I got to take and witness that culture for about a year as a 17-year-old um, kid, you know, as a 17-year-old kid. And so you can't tell me about uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, training, you know, whatever training they had was for the public. It was for some other um, outside agency. They didn't adhere to anything that you would call uh, a decent culture. And, and the person that was in charge was an African-American male. He was a former FBI agent. Hmm. Um, subsequent, I, I think he was even a former U.S. Uh, 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 um, he might have been, a, um, I think he, at one time he was appointed as an um, um, uh, um, assistant attorney general. And um, this individual, you know, he was a friend of my mentor. I had a mentor that used to come down to the county jail to see me. And, and these guys had, that went to school together. And he used to come in and inquire to me and ask me, hey, I'm hearing that uh, we talking about William Lucas now. You know, mm -hmm. he was the first African-American sheriff that was there in that county at the time. And he would inquire to me. He was like, I hear, you know, that um, that he, he's, he's really a bad administrator. And I told him everything you hear is correct. You know, there's nothing to take and be proud uh, uh, and, and that you done went to school with this guy or you know this guy. This guy is horrible. He has no authority over these people. And he's just a front. He's just a face. And we see this often. Somebody get hurt, they bring out an African-American to take and represent the issue. We see that right now. We have a Supreme Court justice that done took and made this, you know, racist and sexist uh, um, remarks. And, uh, um, and, and, and we see that first thing come out. It's people who look like us that want to take and defend him. They want to tell you, hey, he apologized. He apologized. He apologized. He apologized. You know, let him be. It's okay now. Okay. If we had been accepting apologies, which we have accepted quite a ton of them from the time of uh, being brought across the Atlantic to the present day. Okay. We've been accepting apologies. And I do. I accept this apology. But I also um, is looking for uh, um, responsibility. I'm also looking for responsibility. I can forgive him. Okay, you made a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. You was quite intentional. You went and sought out a news person that you knew is pro-police, and you gave that person a message that was pro-police. But you really was taking and throwing law enforcement under the bus as you were returning citizens and the woman your co-worker you created a hostile environment and you literally stabbed her in the back you literally stabbed her in the back you never took and campaigned with her vigorously um the way people got behind you and then when she got there you say 
as a senior justice, I'm not even speaking to you. And this is a customary practice that when the younger justice come on or the newest, the older ones take and groom them towards their duties and their responsibilities. You abandoned her on the campaign trail and then you continued it in the halls of justice. You should have long took and resigned. You can you can apologize, but put it in your, 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 your envelope when you leave the door and leave the justice robe at the court. Leave the justice robe at the court and submit your resignation and your apology. And those people that want to take it parade around with you and say that you apologize, get with them. Go get with them. And, and, and those were the ones that actually took and helped you get in office too. You know, and they don't want to see you go. I can understand that. They put a lot of work in it. But we have put more work in taking and being uh, um, on an equal playing field as African-Americans than they have in your campaign. We don't put more work in that and more blood in that, more sacrifices in that. Okay. So I really don't want to be saying anything at this present time that might incite anything because we have some horrific things that's going on right now with a gentleman that just lost his life. But these are the things that are the most pressing issues before America uh, 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 um, uh, um, branches of government whether you're talking about the executive, the judicial, or uh, uh, um, <laughs> uh, which one did I leave out, the, um, uh, the legislative branch. Mm -hmm. No matter which of those branches of government you're talking about, these social issues are the most pressing. And we cannot have, we cannot afford a biased partner. You are biased. We as African-Americans live in a country that African-Americans die more frequently in this country by the hands of law enforcement than Palestinians die in the West Bank or in occupied Palestine by Israeli forces. There are more African-Americans die on a daily basis by the hands of law enforcement in the United States than Palestinians are dying in occupied Palestine. And that's a shame. The, the worst part about it is we don't sense it. We don't realize it. We don't realize it. We live just the way South Africans lived under apartheid. Our movements is, 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 is restricted. Moving around, doing anything to come out of your home is a threat. It's a threat to come out of your own home. The Fourth Amendment, which would ordinarily protect a person's right, yeah. look like Swiss cheese. That constitutional amendment looked like Swiss cheese. There's so many exceptions to the Fourth Amendment. And that's because of the Black people that is often used um, to provide those exceptions. It doesn't mm -hmm. look like the Second Amendment, which looked like a military camp. Okay? It looked like a military camp with, with Confederate flags all around it. And thank you. I know. I, I um, <clears throat> Thanks, Edward. You were talking about a few things that um, touched me. Uh, one of the things you were saying about, um, about um, the conditions in the Wayne County when you were in the county 
is horrific. And, and, and when it was COVID, it was horrific, you know? So some of these things haven't changed since 1975. Maybe the beatdowns might not happen. It's um, maybe not happening now, but the conditions are still kind of horrific. And, uh, and they're saying this is why they're building this new um, jail because of what's going on there. And earlier in the winter, you know, they didn't have any heat in the other building and they were saying, well, there was heat, but this and that was, you know, it wasn't, it was just a lot of excuses. So <clears throat> when we talk about these things and uh, we just normalize them because, you know, we feel they're not, we're not connected to it, but actually we're all connected to it because there's no criteria or no, these things that we're talking about that happened to Ty, Tyree and all the Tyrees, Amir, Amir Locke and, you know, all these people, all these young um, black men and women, and even some white ones, a few white people um, can happen to anybody at any time. There is no, so, you know, we think because we are, um, sorry, sorry. We got a great job or we got a, a great um, our education, you know, that it takes us, we're exempt from these things that's going on. But we're not exempt. We're not exempt. You never know where it can happen, you know. And that's why, you know, for years, you know, my parents had it with me. I had to have it with my kids, you know the warning about driving, you know, driving out here in these streets because, you know, uh, you might have an encounter with the police. So you have to tell your kids, you know, you got to drive like this and you can't have anybody. In. Like we had to do this as a, um, a black parent. You got to break it all the way down to your kids because they're, you know, because you know um, that these things happen inside these cars, these cars, um, Driving is, you can be a target for anything. It, they don't know who's behind the wheel. You know, they just see your dark skin. And Baraka, um, um, there was a study by the Detroit Justice Center about that. They, they have a report called uh, Highway, uh, Highway Robbery, uh, where they're talking about, you know, how um, African-Americans are uh, stopped on the highway and um, you know uh, and literally they're ripped off and when you were talking about the county jail and that it has um, uh, uh, um, one of the justifications were you know the, um, they needed a new they needed a new jail because of the conditions horrific conditions so they needed a new jail and because of the number of people but remind you, uh, they needed a new county jail because they were placing, they, they created a condition to build a county jail. They artificially inflated the, the county jail's population by putting people in the county jail that shouldn't have been in there in the first place. The Detroit Justice Center and others, um, an organization named Vera um, and others took and demonstrated this. They documented this. Um, and the legislature done accepted this. They acknowledged that, hey, People were being put in our county jails that was never um, legislated, that was never accepted that these are the type of people that you put in the county jail, such as um, for, for traffic violations or for motor vehicle 
on violations in terms of you not having certain documents and papers or um, you're not taking having paid child support those or, or having took and committed you know um whether it was jaywalking or whatever mm -hmm. those are not the type of um, cases where you take and put somebody in a county jail you know you don't take and do that um i got a daughter you know uh, you know um i respect people's privacy um but i don't see where you know a person is arrested and put in a space and then um the court tell you oh you don't have a case there's no docket here but the bonds person is saying you have to come down and report to us and every time you come down you got to give us a certain amount of money and if you want to leave the area you have to get it's 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 it's, it's this these systems are built to make money and we have brought into it like we believe that because if a judge give you a bail somehow everybody is safe but you can pay to get out mm -hmm. so it got nothing to do with your risk assessment okay you can pay to get out so is you a danger because you paid or is you a danger because you didn't have to pay you see what i'm saying yeah yeah you still can get out on the bail if you had the money if the money was an issue so really holding a person in custody should be a pure it should be a pure security concern it shouldn't have anything to do with your affordability shouldn't have anything to do with that my contention is is that our county jails our county jails for example have populations that question the integrity of those county jails and its population and those those pop within those populations is a certain category and the homeless the homeless the mentally ill and the substance dependent and those who are unemployed or chronically unemployed these populations you will find that make up over 75 percent of the county jail population and i mentioned them again mm -hmm. the homeless mm -hmm. mentally ill substance dependent and unemployed or chronically unemployed these are the individuals that you will find in a county jail neither of these categories represent social threats Mm -hmm. It represents social issues that can be taken care of by social services. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Homelessness can be taken care of by social service. Right. Uh, substance uh, use can be addressed by social services. Okay. Uh, mentally ill can be addressed by social services. Unemployment can be addressed by social services they cannot be dressed addressed by law enforcement to exactly. do so it costs more this is why we see this inflated number where law enforcement agencies receive 60 percent of a state's budget and all these services that i just mentioned get like 12 percent eight percent or nine percent 
The reason they, they only get those percentages is because our politicians and having frightened everybody and running for office and having frightened everybody, they have took and give people who, who are not doing their job, they have given them other people's jobs, okay? Police is not designed to show up at a fire. Those are jobs for people at the firehouse. Right. Give a squat car a call to a burning house, okay? That's not the purpose. That's not the call of uh, um, law enforcement. At one time, law enforcement showed the integrity and, and, and decency to say no, but they later took and bit, bit into it. When when Reagan first took and said, hey, we want you guys to take and, 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 and do this thing on, on drugs, they were like, no, that's social work. But when Reagan took and said that, hey, we give you all this military hardware, we'll give you these military vehicles, we'll give you these the squat outfits and training and all of these weapons, they jumped on it. Mm -hmm. They jumped on it like kids getting presents on Christmas. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, hell. Oh, hell no. We got 10 speeds. We got mini bikes. We got hammers. I mean, they were like, yes. And now you can't get them to take their hands off it. Anytime somebody begin to do anything to threaten those that they now got they will push back with big propaganda they yeah. claim that the reason that crime has spiked it in the last uh, um, three years is because of the movement to, to, to abolish cash bail <laughs> okay they don't say nothing about the number of people who died in those facilities during the pandemic even they don't even talk about their fellow co-workers that died under those circumstances. And that's a shame that yeah. you don't even talk about the safety of people who are working with you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You just I through a propaganda and you don't yeah. say anything about the men and women that stood shoulder to shoulder with you. That's a shame. Yes. And, 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 I you know, as you said, I think about, you know, the governor when she did her state of the state. She, you're right. She didn't mention anything about COVID and how these people that died inside these prisons. She did. She said she's going to spend more money to get the police more training. That's what she said. <clears throat> and so, but she ran on reforms and change and all this stuff. But her, she wants to give them more money for training. So her... Her platform has changed to be a part of the narrative to, you know, to enforce the fear as we, we're talking about. If they're talking about um, kids carjacking every day, then that's all you're going to think about is kids carjacking every day. But when you go down to that courthouse, they're talking about more than carjacking. It's all kinds of stuff going on that you don't even have a clue about. Because they program you to believe about how these kids are carjacking or whatever the you know the case is every day. When I was down there with my son, I was unbelievable. I couldn't believe all the stuff that was going on in this city, you know, just by sitting in the courtroom listening to all these cases. 
but they don't show that. They don't show, and I've seen tons, and I'm just going to say it, tons of white people down here at 36th District Court had a whole lot of, you know, robberies and stuff going on, things that they were doing, but you don't see this on TV. You know, you'd be stunned about all the things that's going on that you don't see on TV, but what makes money is your brown skin, you know, because we want to see it at two. We want to see it at four. We want to see it at seven, you know, and keep programming ourselves. And then we're going to watch after the news go off. Then we're going to go watch CSI and we're going to go watch, you know, <laughs> and all these other cop shows and get more programming and then normalize all this bad behavior when something happens where you shouldn't have been running, where you shouldn't have been out there. Well, you know, they kind of you fall into all these narratives and start believing this stuff. And then you wonder why nobody is saying anything because you've been programmed not to. <laughs> so um, there was a question. I want to go back to it. Prison Nation said, I know someone serving life without parole for beating a person to death. He was charged with first degree murder. My question to the panel and community is why are we okay with these five officers only being charged with second degree murder? I'm okay with it. <laughs> and I think they're out on bail. And uh, hey, we didn't charge them. As far as I'm concerned, that's first degree premeditated murder. Exactly. Because of the training you said you had. <laughs> exactly. First of all, because of the training you said you had. Right. You're supposed you to do be. better. Okay. You Aren't they better. supposed to be trained in de-escalation? Yes. You had training that took and taught you how to de-escalate a situation. You know that responsibility in a law enforcement agency is spread it out. It doesn't just start at the top. Every individual that put on that suit, every individual that put on that suit is considered to be a sworn officer. And they are expected and they they are taught to uphold the laws and not only our laws, but even our sense of morals. You know, what is right? What is <laughs> We expect that. And that's supposed to be part of the culture of these law enforcement agencies. You know, uh, we have to change the culture. We have to quit saying that these is only a few bad apples. And this this, this, this uh, 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 police captain that then came out and trying to be transparent and trying to be very um, blunt and forthcoming, she need to go ahead and say the culture. She need to say the culture. The culture have to be changed. The culture have to be changed. And she needs to take responsibility that what's happening in her police force because at the end of the day, she's the one in charge. She's the one in charge. And you can't say it's um, these guys and we don't, you know, this is not what we want them to do when they're out there. You can, you can put all that good front up. But at the end of the day, these are your people. <laughs> the buck's supposed to stop with you. <laughs> In, in regards of, of culture, and you know, and, and I want to say something to um, young student, Caucasian students, and others on college campuses and universities that have been um, suckered into taking and bringing lawsuits, you know, arguing that um, somehow they were discriminated against as a white person and not able 
those are sucker plays. You have your uh, people who are, are resistant to change and they take advantage of um, um, people and they'll go to you with some sense of loss or hurt and they'll tell you, hey, we'll represent you. We'll take, take care of all your, your legal fees. Um, you take and do this. And I want to point out to you what you lose. You lose sensitivity of diversity. You lose the diversity, and this is what gets you into a situation just like what we we viewing right now. Even though in this case, it's African Americans, but quite often, it's you. Mm-hmm. It's you. It's your color, your skin that looks like this. But you green, you in, and those brothers and sisters that then went and got in these institutions. And all they did was grin since they got there. They're happy to be there. They in. They in. They, they part of that culture too. So I remind them. While I was in prison, I used to attend classes at Spring Arbor uh, Community College, which is a university now. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the some of the faculty approached me. They knew I was Muslim, and they know that the Muslim prisoners were taken and refusing to be. Uh, frisked by women guards you know they knew that the guys would go to the hole and the prison got to where they wouldn't just put you in the hole for seven days for disobeying a direct order they started taking and saying this is a security threat and they took it at a minimum they put you in the hole for six months okay because the muslims were, were you know they would know they would be very respectful and they would say no you cannot you cannot frisk me i'm a man you're a woman you shouldn't have your hands on me and i shouldn't have my hands on you one of your co-workers should male co-workers should be shaking me down so this particular christian college which i'm very thankful for having given me the opportunity to get a degree that's why i got my undergraduate degree okay i got a degree in behavioral science from that that allowed me after i came home to take and get my master's degree from the University of Michigan, but I still take and acknowledge of what was there. Some of their personnel, some of the teachers came to me and say, hey, look, we will pay for your attorney fees. We will get you an attorney. Do you want to file a lawsuit? File a lawsuit to get the women out of the MDOC. I, I said, no, no, because even though I may have had some objections to some of the things that was going on overall, their presence in the MDOC was greater than their harm. The benefit of their, their presence there was greater than their harm. As I mentioned to you, the people that were putting themselves in between the prisoners in the county jail, mm-hmm. those were women. <laughs> those were women. Okay, you had very few African American males were even being hired in 1975 in the Wayne County Jail. Okay, I remember one African American male nurse, all other nurses were female. Okay, and this reality was reflected even in the prison system. These sisters came in, um, they helped change the culture. First of all, brothers begin, the men in the prison, they didn't care about their appearance. Okay, they didn't care about bathing. The prison used to have a, a room where you where you had to take a shower once a day. 
and the guards used to literally come around to your cell and say shower and they kept records of who got in the water and who didn't you can literally be given a ticket for not taking care of your hygiene not getting in the shower they didn't stop that practice until after the women came in the system because once the women's got there the guy had no problems getting in the shower they wanted to smell better okay they wanted to smell better these guys used to take and keep their hair i mean just not i'm talking about not the beautiful corn corn braids and all of this they used to carry it all <laughs> you know <laughs> the way they hey they had no regards of their appearance Mm-hmm. They would put mascara on, you know, uh, on stuff on their face to deal with apnea or whatever. They would walk around in shower shoes, and they just didn't care. They wouldn't get dressed until they were told that you got a visit. And it would take them two or three hours to get ready to go out on a visit. They were so, you know, unprepared and maintaining their hygiene and so forth. It took two three hours just to get ready to get out on the visit the women changed that they changed the culture the mm-hmm. guys were concerned about how they carried themselves there was an open environment of expression of homosexuality when the women came guys hey they changed you know they changed they, they wasn't doing that you didn't you didn't see two men standing around taking a french kiss <laughs> or humping on each other all in the open and carrying on and disgusting everybody when the women came they were like hey i'm a guy (laughs) so uh, but they brought about some good change the guys began to take and show regards to the women um they became sensitive to them being in the environment um they became more cultured in terms of how they presented themselves, how they acted, etc., and that was even true with African American males. Mm-hmm. When you just had a few of them in the environment, they was as worse as the Caucasians they worked with. But as they began to take and raise the numbers, and take and begin to interact with the guys, hey we looked at them as our family and they looked at us as our family and they began to take and play a real constructive role in terms of rehabilitation of the people that they came in contact with right so there's so, a lot Barana, 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 richard said this is a, so touchy and sad no conditions have not changed at all we all see for facts no changes since Rodney King, Malice Green, George Floyd, and all the others brutalized by police. Yes, it is a must that our children be warned and aware. So attorney Hugo Matt, um, I saw Prison Nation had brought this up and I saw this over the weekend. Actually, I watched it. It was a protest in Atlanta. Um, um this past weekend because they're they're taking um land that was um um i think it was you know um right 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 they take this like 85 acres right big cop city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's supposed to be some kind of training and facil- facility or whatever and i'm thinking 85 acres yeah yeah of training for right. training what kind right. of training are they doing out here on 85 anchors 
Right. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you raised that issue. You know, I've been following that and researching that. You know, do you remember when the equivalent of the Proud Boys took over some government facilities and the federal government used kit gloves with them? I don't know if this was in Montana or Utah. It, it, the, the state escapes me. If one of y'all remember, you, you, you can feel it. But anyway, they took over to, with guns. I'm talking about guns. Took over and was talking about this is our land or you wrongfully on somebody's land trespassing. The mm -hmm. government used kit gloves with them. Kit gloves. All right. And then people occupied that place. It seems like at least a couple months that they were there and negotiations and, you know, we don't want to start uh, any kind of trouble here. These are American citizens, you know, and uh, we're concerned about, you know, like, you know, you know some hybrid of posse comitatus where the government is being turned on its own citizenship. Do y'all do y'all remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I remember it quite well. And what I'm saying is that has happened time and time and time again. Most recently, January the 6th of 2021, if my memory serves me right, the United States Capitol has never been breached by the Confederates. It has never been breached that way by the British. It has never been breached that way by the French. It took American citizens to breach our nation's capital. The British never got to the Speaker's House representatives. The French never got to the Speaker's House representatives. The indigenous people damn sure never got to the Speaker of the House representatives office. These are the people did. And yet what happened? They were treated with kit gloves, kit gloves, okay? National Guard not called in till later. President mm -hmm. of the United States, the United States, arguably, or, or, or I should say former president of the United States, well, 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 well technically still president in, in, in that sense. You know, you know what I'm trying to say, who could have done something was giving cover to these people, giving them uh, excuses as great Americans. So I can give you example, example, example. I, I, I can tell you about David Koresh. You remember David Koresh? Remember mm -hmm. David Koresh? You see how the Clinton administration, they did all kinds of kit glove approaches to try to induce that man to leave and only resorted to violence as the last extreme. There was another case where some FBI agents were trying to capture some white uh, separatist and uh, and 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 then the the FBI agents were and ATF agents were end up looking and said, "Well, these are stormtroopers. These are black booted stormtroopers." You know, you know, I say stormtroopers. You know what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. You 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 do know you you know they're talking about Adolf Hitler, right? You do know that. You do know that. All right, and the vile racism that he uh, exhibited. They're referred to members of our own law enforcement community as that. Say, well, okay, Hugo Mack, what are you saying? I'm saying with this situation, they were dealing with a group of indigenous-minded people who did not feel it was proper to invade that land to that extent to build Cop City. And you mm -hmm. doggone right, J-Love. This, and, and by the way, you notice how close it is to Atlanta. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I see right here, Prison Nation put on here, 85 acres of land from the predominantly black neighborhood. <laughs> Absolutely. Which, which Absolutely. includes a protected watershed um, area. Absolutely. So, so what I'm saying is, is that there was no kit glove treatment with these folks. I mean, they weren't burning down the forest. They weren't putting chemicals in the ground. They weren't radiating the leaves. They were simply occupying an area. There mm -hmm. is, I didn't see any real evidence uh, of, of gunplay from the indigenous people there. M maybe there was. I mean, maybe somebody did shoot. But because a shot is fired, does not give police the authority to open up with semi-automatic and automatic weapons on a group of people. It doesn't give them that authority to do that. So right. when, when I look at this whole thing with Cop City and uh, how they're, they're like covering this up, like these are like uh, environmental terrorists, I still don't know what that means, environmental terrorists. <laughs> if, 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 what is if a environmental terrorist? People who standing up for the protected lands? For, for protected lands, yes. Yeah. So, so if if I'm objecting to a nuclear power reaction uh, reactor being built on somebody's indigenous historical grave site or burial site, then I'm an environmental terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Matt, add in yeah. there. Move. Talk about move. Yeah. Oh. the organization move. Oh yeah. 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 That We're in that whole neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, no. Once again, it's that terrible double standard. But you know what? As as bad as this is, I hope it sends a message to other indigenous peoples. And I hope it sends a message to our Caucasian brothers and sisters, too. Because mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it is getting to the point. It is not just about Black people. It is about now a class of people a mm -hmm. class of people and i'm telling you if some of our white brothers and sisters was in the wrong place at the wrong time the color of their skin would have made no difference mm -hmm. no difference yeah and right. you know what i want to bring attention to the cost mm -hmm. 90 million dollars well, yeah for 85 acres yeah of policing and, and and then we need to recognize that they're policing Americans. <laughs> There's more policing done to the citizens of the United States than Not it is in, in worse treatment. We have no protection mm -hmm. compared to war prisoners. War prisoners are more protected than you and I as American citizens. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's so right. That's right. That's how they see They have a picture of the terrorists. Who who are the real terrorists? And, and what does and, that person actually look like? Right, <laughs> right, right. And, and 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 Reverend Tia, I don't mean to interrupt, but let me say this. You are 10,000 percent right, my sister. Do you know during World War II, when they had German soldiers that were imprisoned and some brought to the United States for interrogation purposes, do you know they got better treatment than the black GIs, than the black GIs did? 
given full rights if you were colonel in the in the in, in, in Hitler's army, Nazi, Nazi, swastika wearing, you were given rights and privileges and respect as a colonel right here. You know, they have that mockery of a show, Hogan's Heroes, that that uh that uh, uh comes on and 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 uh, it's kind of funny to some people. But really what that shows is the the alleged supremacy, supremacy of the uh the white american gi and intelligentsia over over the germans you see what i'm saying over the germans you notice you never saw any black person i i think there's one guy ivan dixon that was that was normally in the cast you never saw any black person in any kind of a leadership or intellectual role in that program you know what i'm saying and so for me being uh, uh, 68 years of age, going back and looking at the TV shows that I looked at, I realized the words of Reverend Tia are so prescient because we have been programmed into thinking that others have a supreme role. We look to others, for example, of intelligentsia and, and gut and fortitude and spirit. You see, mm -hmm. others, other, other than ourselves. So I'm sorry, Reverend Tia, but I just had to say that because even people that slaughtered black, by the way, black GIs in, 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 in Germany, they were hated by the German soldiers. Hated, hated. I saw a documentary where at least 150 black soldiers were singled out and massacred, massacred over, over in Europe by the Germans uh, because of the color of their skin and, and how much Hitler hated black folks. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna yeah. play. I got a video, you guys, and I need. We need to play Attorney Mac, and it deals with what you want to talk about. So let's let me do this right quick. Um, just one second, everyone. In the 1960s, the air of resistance and turbulence helped create hip-hop. Hip-hop became our voice that was for so long silenced. When we look at global projects, across cultures can listen and say, that's my story too. Los Angeles police have released video of the arrest of Keenan Anderson, the cousin of a Black Lives Matter co-founder. He was detained earlier this month and tased after he was involved in a car accident. As he was being arrested, he expressed fears that he would meet the same fate as George Floyd, whose killing by police sparked nationwide protests. Anderson died in police custody several hours later. The incident is still being investigated, but it's a stark reminder of the hundreds of people who die at the hands of police each year and the wide racial disparities that persist among those deaths. John Yang has this report on one mother's experience and where policing in America goes from here. 22-year-old Amir Locke was an aspiring musician and to his mother, Karen Wells, a loving son. He had a really good sense of humor. His smile, it was infectious. He loves to give hugs, so I, I that makes me smile. It was 11 months ago that a police officer shot and killed Locke in a downtown Minneapolis apartment. 
for Wells, it's been 11 months of devastation. Mentally, in order for me to get through the day, I basically just tell myself, Amir is on vacation. Each time Wells returns to Minnesota or learns about another death at the hands of Twin Cities police, the pain of her son's killing comes rushing back. My heart don't beat the same anymore. It does not beat the same. It's broken. And it'll never, uh, the best surgeon in America could never repair my heart after what they did to my son. On the morning of February 2nd, Minneapolis police executed a no-knock search warrant on an apartment in connection with a homicide investigation. Locke wasn't named in the warrant and didn't live at the apartment. When officers stormed through the door, he appeared to be asleep on a couch. Locke stirred from under a blanket. He was holding a handgun, which family said he was licensed to carry. An officer fired three shots. The killing touched off days of protests in Minneapolis, still reeling from the death of George Floyd less than two years earlier. Adding to the public outrage, initial police accounts wrongly named Locke as a suspect. In the weeks that followed, the city of Minneapolis banned no-knock warrants, but prosecutors did not charge the officer who fired the fatal shots, concluding that he felt threatened. Mayor Locke was holding it by the butt of the, the gun in a, in a shooting position, although his finger was not on the trigger. Um, that gun was pointed directly at Officer Hanman. Karen Wells says her son was simply protecting himself. She no longer trusts police and sees little progress on the reforms that were promised after Floyd's killing. The same as you have to crawl before you walk. They're not, even, they're not even at the stage of crawling right now when it comes to police reform. I believe that we'll get to the running stage when more police officers are held accountable for their mistakes, their lethal mistakes. According to a Washington Post database, in 2022, police in the United States shot and killed about 1,100 people, the most since the paper began tracking fatal police shootings in 2015 after the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. But the Post found that while the number of fatal police shootings is increasing, fewer are being reported to the federal government. There's a saying that you track what you care about. Andrew Bontran is a data reporter for the Post's investigative team. This just shows, as researchers have said, that the overall attempt to track police-involved shootings has failed. There are too many loopholes for police departments to not report their police-involved shootings. If they don't want to, they're not going to. For Karen Wells, the focus remains justice for her son. We're going to keep saying a mere lock. Justice for a mere lock. I won't be quiet until I get justice for my son. I will never stop speaking up for him. Never. It's been more than two and a half years since the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which led to calls for sweeping police reform and more accountability. What's been accomplished in that time? Thaddeus Johnson is a criminology professor at Georgia State University in Atlanta and a former Memphis police officer. Uh, Thaddeus Johnson, what has been accomplished in that time? I think we're trending in the right direction, uh, but we've only created a baseline uh, for the reforms necessary to create a police force that's trustworthy and effective. I think that there's a lot of politicization. There are some obstacles, but also there's a lack of data and evidence to really know 
were to pinpoint reform or to do it in a very efficient way. And so the first thing we need is a, is a, is a database. You need more data on traffic stops, arrests, police use of force, both, both lethal and non-lethal. Uh, the federal government with President Biden's executive order, he created a blueprint, but we still have a long way to go. We understand the limits of policing. We understand that it's not just the officers on the streets, that it's actually leadership, it's state laws, it's lawmakers, uh, but we're kind of sorting these things out. And I think that's a natural progression. You see, it's just, it's created a baseline. We just heard in the, uh, in the tape, the mother of Amir Locke uh, talk very movingly about that, about what she's gone through and how it's affected her attitude toward police and police officers and how she's fighting for justice for her son. What's your message to her and to so many other mothers and fathers uh, like her who have, who've lost uh, children to police violence? Well, I would let her know that she's not fighting alone, even though it may feel like it. Uh, even if we don't see state laws being passed or these big obvious high magnitude changes that we may want to see, we have to understand that reform is a piecemeal approach. But you have many nonprofits, you have many prosecutors, you have many police leaders, uh, many judges, many lawmakers who understand that we need to move forward. I mean, look, uh, in the past couple of years, we've seen police officers held accountable criminally. That's something that we've never seen uh, in my lifetime. And I tell everyone this, we may not see the Department of Police Force that we want to see in our generation, but if we continue the path that we're going, generations to come, our grandkids, they will reap the benefits of what's being done now. We also heard in the tape the, about the Washington Post uh, report looking into the disparity, the number of police shootings going up, but the number of police shootings reported to the federal government going down. What's the concern about what that creates and causes? Well, it's very concerning. Our tax dollars pay for this service. And that's the public's data, that's our data, and we shouldn't have to beg for it. It's hard to improve things when we don't even have a baseline of knowledge. And with the limited data that we have, uh, we're almost, I don't wanna say flying in the dark when it comes to creating interventions, uh, but we don't have the data that we need to be comfortable oftentimes uh, to make these determinations and these changes. You taught use of force uh, when you were an officer in Memphis. Does that training have to change in order for the policies to match the practices? The one thing that we taught officers were to take control of the scene. Uh, and taking control of the scene, uh, we're teaching officers to be aggressive. We're teaching officers to exert their physical and legal authority on the scene, as opposed to dealing with our citizens like human beings, in which they are, as if they're co-producers for solutions of crime or people who are actually going through some type of struggle. We have to also train our officers to, de to de-escalate, not just verbally, but also put space between officers and the people that they encounter, particularly when you can tell and, and look at the cues that things are escalating. And one reason that you see officers tend to be overly assertive when it comes to these aspects is the emphasis of arrests, traffic stops, and custodial stops in the evaluation process. I mean, it's difficult to be promoted. It's difficult to get a more prestigious assignment or get a better shift in a better neighborhood if you don't have high numbers in these areas. But many of these things don't have public safety value. 
And what they do, they tend to unnecessarily put police and citizens in adversarial situations that could have otherwise been prevented. And we also reward officers for these traditional antiquated crime-fighting metrics only. We also prevent the pipeline for more diverse leaders, whether it's younger leaders, whether it's women leaders, or whether it's non-white leaders, who research has shown has been attracted to this type of policing as opposed to the warrior-style policing that we've seen far too long. Thaddeus Johnson from Georgia State University. Thank you very much. No, thank you for having me. So <laughs> that was a lie. I thought this was the video, but there was another one that goes into uh, what happened in California. And that's what I was trying to lead into also. Just that was just a couple of weeks ago as well as when they tased the young man to literally tase them to death. So, you know, I listened to him and I'm like, okay, he trained, he was a trainer in Memphis. <laughs> and we're talking about Memphis today. They must have learned too much because um the Scorpion crew was out here harassing and beating, you know, beating people, you know. Um when I was listening to them this morning, they were talking about how these, those five police officers, that whole little crew of them, that's what they did. They was out in the streets. They were beating people. They were, they were pretty much like um, what the big four used to be um, to Detroit back in the day. That's what they yeah. were doing. And it, it didn't even matter age. They were beating elderly people and people were, people were reporting it. But they huh. were attorney of um, they wasn't taking the reports or whatever. Just like again, we had this where we had an officer here with a hundred complaints and and how they still get promoted and um because of what he was talking about, you know, these they get promotion based on the things of how many people they arrest and all these other things, like they get incentives for all this stuff. And so we are the ones who are in danger, you know, somebody ready to move up in the ranks, you know, the whole neighborhood is in trouble because they're going to be doing whatever they can do, you know, to move wherever they need to go. And so these are the, this is why we need to have these conversations because we don't know what's going on until it happens to us. And we need to take action. We need to take action because at some point we need to say it's enough. And I'm tired of waiting for the next generation. We've been waiting 400 years now. How many generations we got to go to make a difference? At some point, we have to realize the psychosis that is within the culture of policing and what that is based upon. And, and we can't just focus on that but we need to see what are the answers and solutions and how does that begin with us mm -hmm. for every other industry for every other industry you have to take a test to demonstrate whether you have biases you have to be culturally competent when you are a psychologist you have to be culturally competent when you are a social worker, you have to be culturally competent. That means that whoever comes in your presence, that is the person that you are going to help. That is not the case with the police department. They are not 
culturally competent. And there is a madness in the mind for many police because of the culture. And that same madness, it, they have did, they've done the studies and it is equal to that of somebody who is experiencing a psychotic breakdown. And yet we have accepted it as law. So what are we going to do? Yes, they need a psychological exam. Yes. Why is that not a mandate? I don't know. Why don't they want to make a change? Go ahead. Go ahead, Attorney Matt. No, I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting last time because I'm taking notes when you talk. So, 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 you know, and, and, and part of it is I really feel even with the psychological test, who's writing the test? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. So, something that's very important is I'm sure all you know the determination of IQ, you know? Yeah. And, and, and saying you have to have a certain IQ or an aptitude level. Um, I encountered that with the uh, preparing for the, uh, for the LSAT. Okay. You know, and uh, even, even the bar exam itself. Okay. I mean, I'm telling you, you, to get to the point of taking a bar exam or, or, some any other kind of exam to get licensed. In my experience, you've had to become so culturally in tune with what I want to say, I'll say the majority culture. I won't say the predominant culture, the superior culture, but I'll say the majority culture. You've got to become so in tune with a series of laws. It's hard to keep your independence once you've had to study and work so hard to prove your acceptance in that system. And that is exactly what is happening with the police, particularly these black officers. And let me say this, let me say this. You know, black people are the most obliging, forgiving, kumbaya, short-minded, uh, short-memory, short-willed people in the history of this country. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Because we want to be accepted so much, we will put clothes pins on our noses to make them narrower. We will purse our lips inside out to make them narrower. narrower. We will put lie. Remember Denzel and, and Malcolm X? We will put lie on our hair to make it straight. Mm -hmm. We will put bleach on our skin to make it lighter. We will talk like other people talk in order to try to be acceptable by them. No other group except perhaps the indigenous, uh, I, I no longer say, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I like to say, you know, American Indians. I want to say the original Americans. The original, the original Americans, except for perhaps them, who, by the way, chose death over slavery, I might add, because, you know, they tried to enslave them people, too. Them people say, we'll die on this battlefield or as soldiers and warriors. But, you know, black people have a little bit different experience in this country. So what I'm saying is 
is that part of the problem that I see is that we are perpetually letting a mojo being run on us, on letting other people not only define us, but judge us. And that is the problem with the black policemen right now. That is the problem with far too many black attorneys right now. We have bought into a system that has never been designed to judge us fairly, but we support it anyway. Now you say, well, what you talking about? You're part of it. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. But I'm a part of it that is at least willing to acknowledge my shortcomings and willing to try to do something to change for other people coming behind me, you know, to ask them to have some friggin' backbone and don't worry about General Motors. Don't worry about Chrysler. Don't worry about, you know, IBM. Well, I got to make some good money. Well, you never make as much money as a white man. I mean, I'm just being honest. You, you, so, so redefine success. Don't define success. I got to live in Bloomfield Hills. You know, I got to have me this big fancy car. You know, I got to have in this prestigious law firm. I define success by the people that my heart goes out to that I know I can and have help. Okay. And so mm -hmm. any future lawyers, uh, you know, Brock already knows this. And Brock, come on, man. We need you now. Come on now. <laughs> he already knows this. Define success by what God-given talent has been given you to help another human being progress to be the greatest you are. And all future lawyers out there, I'm telling you this right now, if you build your practice on taking people to a better place, you will be rewarded beyond this earth because God knows he's looking, he's watching, and he is judging. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know, uh, I see, um, one of the comments said that we need, uh, um, a, a nationwide boycott. I know I was listening to them in Memphis this week. I've been listening to, um, different people that are organizing down there and they're doing this weekend. I mean, outside of protest and there also was, they're doing a, don't buy anything this weekend. Don't buy nothing. So, um, just like those semi-trucks um, drivers that organized a successful boycott that shut down the whole entire state, that uh, eliminated that young man from having 100 years to 10 years, um, we have to take a, a page out of their playbook. You know, we got to do something different. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, on that... Well, we got to get back. Get back to the basics, Jay. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Get back to the basic. Yeah. That's what's important. Right. Take our children back. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. take take back, understand and realize the power that you have with your families. Mm -hmm. Look at what you're eating. Look at what you're consuming. Mm -hmm. Take your life back when it comes to health and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And look at what you can do. I had an aunt who was always, I would see something I wanted in the magazine. I didn't go to the store to buy it. I took that picture over to my aunt Gwen and I Gwen laid it out. Mm -hmm. And she had the dress I wanted and she spent $5. Right. There's some things that we can do. The question is, will we do it? Are you willing to do it? Right. And what's going to move you? 
when I when I went to the store and realized that they had gone up on ginger and turmeric when nobody was even buying it. I've been buying turmeric and ginger for years. And all of a sudden, now that the health industry is talking about it more, then they go up on the price. So what you gonna do? Grow I it. Went in the kitchen and plant it. Planted my ginger and planted my my turmeric. Right. Because I'm not gonna pay six dollars for a little itty bitty thing of turmeric when I can go and, and do two three months worth and and not have to spend anything at all. Right. You know. And uh, those of us who went and paid four dollars and seventy nine cents for a dozen eggs, what you gonna do? Right. You gonna keep paying four dollars and seventy nine six dollars nine dollars. Get you some pickles. Tony Mac had chickens all in his neighborhood last summer. You know what? What I'm about to listen. I hurried up and identified two farms right near me. They will see me because I will pay them four dollars for some good eggs. And I've decided I have I called after that four dollars and seventy-nine cents because I usually get two dozen of eggs. Only got one dozen. I put out a clarion call to the little Johns. We having a meeting. Because what I'm not going to do is buy another dozen of eggs. <laughs> and that land we got out there, we about to do some stuff. Because at the end of the day, it's going to take us coming together and in our own productive, genius minds, putting together action plans. Yeah. And share your action plan in the community. SOS. Yes. SOS, study, organize, strategize. That's what that's we it. That's it. That's it. Okay. So we only got a few minutes left. Go ahead, Baraka. We we do need to take in, uh, 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 embark upon some um some action. Um we need to take and and give abolition a chance within our community. We mostly talk about reform. And actually, reform in this country consists of remedial, remedial changes, remedial. Ch actually, I was meeting with a group where a gentleman, and he's he, he's in law enforcement. He happened to be in the group, and that's exactly what he suggested that we do. Um, now that all the Democrats are in all the offices, he said, "Let's just just some, you know, small changes. Um, we can't move too fast. We got to think about our kids." I didn't know where that came from other than um, the person being in that space to take and kill, you know, whatever uh, momentum that exists there. We should be thinking about not reform uh, per se. There are some things that's relevant to reform, but most of the things that are harming us need to be um, abolished. Mm -hmm. The cash bail system needs to be abolished. Nothing about the reform in the cash bail system yeah. is part of slavery we need to abolish it. The idea of taking and giving law enforcement immunity, just blanket immunity, that needs to be abolished. That needs to be abolished, okay? Um, the idea of just taking and just saying because a person has been in contact with law enforcement that that person is denied the right to employment in areas that have no relevance to what the person may have even done. Me and um, uh, um, uh, uh, Hugo Mack can be attorneys, but neither of us can take and be uh, uh, a notary public. 
We cannot notarize documents because they say you can't if you've been convicted for a crime in the past. Okay? He can be attorney, but he can't be a private investigator. He can't even be the manager of a private investigator firm. Okay? If another person owned it, the, the private investigator firm and they hired him, he couldn't be the manager. But he can be attorney. These laws that are being created has no design other than to harm. It's like whatever we can find and just throw at them, just throw at them whenever we can throw at them. It's just, it's just, just hatred, just bitterness. And right. we heard that on our state highest court. Mm -hmm. We heard that on our state highest court. We have to start thinking about some abolition. We have to say that, hey, we abolishing the idea of locking up homeless people. We abolish the idea of locking up people for substance use. We're going to abolish that idea. We're going to abolish the idea of taking and locking someone up because they don't make enough money to take and pay child support. We're not going to then take and turn around and pay for him or her. We're going to pay his or her um, um, room and board because he ain't got the money. So we're going to sweat him with the county jail. We got to abolish that idea. Yeah. Or that we're going to lock people up for private industries. Mm. You didn't pay um, um, a bill and so we go arrest you and put you in the county jail because you don't you didn't have insurance. You don't have insurance, you don't drive a car, but you don't put the person in jail. You don't put the person in jail. You had an accident. I mean, if you wasn't using the car in some kind of criminal activity, which may consist of dri driving drunk, you know, but you don't take and just hold <laughs> up for these, uh, uh, um, what we would call civil violations. Right. You have to abolish right. things like that. So right. we have, if we're going to get serious about reform, first start with some of the abolition. Because once you get in there, then you get serious about what really needs to be reformed. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Michigan Parole Board and look at the last four or five governors in the state of Michigan, each one of them came in office and almost immediately they did something with the parole board because they'd have made that a political issue with the public. But if you look at what they did, it's all been remedial. Right. One governor takes and take and put additional number of people on the board and that's reformed. Right. Another governor comes back in and change that number. That's reform. Right. Okay. None of that bull is reform. Right. It wasn't an issue in the first place. <laughs> it was all about politics. And right. so they continue to take and feed the public with BS. They had a system where they used to take and reward good behavior. When they encourage good behavior, they took the whole system away, and now we have brewing inside of our prisons gangs. Do you know what used to be the biggest cop on a prison yard? The biggest cop was Good Time. Mm -hmm. If you knew when you came through RGNC, they gave you a slip, and that slip took and told you this is the time that you got, and this is the time that we would reduce 
if you behave. Guys put that in their mind and they went into the system, was like, <laughs> I'm finna get this time that they finna cut my time with. And that yeah. became the biggest cop on the yard. Even when the police wasn't around, the guys knew how to take and behave because they knew that if they didn't, and the guards knew that, they feel the sense of security. This guy got some brakes on him, you know, because he know that if he assault me, if he assault me, if he do certain things here in the prison environment, he know what he's losing, even independent of what I may or may not do. Okay? And they took that away. And so now what we have in our prison system, we have gangs that are festering inside of the MDOC that would eventually turn back to our communities. And then we have this cycle again of running behind gangs. We have gangs now here in the state of Michigan that was born in L.A. or New York or Chicago. We traditionally had gangs here in the state of Michigan where people age out. They age out. They become a certain age. They no longer down with that. It's not an issue. Okay? But we talking about gangs out of areas where these people take and remain in the game in their senior years. They are still members of those games. And we now have that taken and, and taken shape in the state of Michigan primarily because we took what was a protection in the environment, what was a barrier in the environment in terms of good time and special good time that's now been taken away. And now each other are looking for different type of protection, different type of, you know, uh, uh, pumping up. And uh, 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 it's ludicrous. We need to start thinking about some, some, some abolition. And some of that abolition will make us think serious about reform when we do go to reform. We need to start with the abolition. It makes no sense that you will put a person in uniform that can't even testify in a courtroom. He or she cannot even show up in a courtroom, okay? Even under the Sharia, the Sharia say that if you lie on a person, you no longer have the right to take and testify against anybody other than yourself. Right. Other so than we, yourself. So we, I need to cut us short. I'm sorry, Barack. <laughs> Good. Is that right? Is but, that Thank you. Yes. So, yes, we'll be back next week, you guys. We have attorney, definitely attorney Elizabeth Franklin Best will be here next Friday. So please be here with your questions and ready to join us on turning a moment into a movement. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you again next week. Good night. Good night.